Oh, Father, uh, we thank you for uh, the light of your glorious face and that we can turn to you and uh, rest in you and find our help and our hope in you. And as we study this morning the, uh, the topic of meditation, Lord, we are reminded of how much we need you and how you've revealed yourself to us in your word. So I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would help us as we think on these things and consider uh, ways in which we can be drawn into your presence, that you would do the work in our hearts and that you would get the honor and glory from what we say and what we do this morning. And we ask for your help. And we know that you answer us when we ask for help in time of need. So we pray these things and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. My uh, topic this morning is biblical meditation. And you have a handout there. And again, there's some more on the back table. And I think if you raise your hand, Timothy will help you find them or maybe even bring them to you. Uh, my hope with this uh, series, it's a short series, just two weeks, my hope with this is that uh, we'll be able to understand a little better what biblical meditation is, uh, that we would see uh, the essential nature of it for our spiritual growth, and that we would understand maybe practically a little bit better how, how we can meditate on the Word. That is my, uh, my hope, but my goal really is to stir us up, uh, to uh, encourage us to fan the flames of, of desire and delight in us, and to uh, help us to draw us into the joy of tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. Uh, excuse me, I didn't get my water. Can somebody get me a, a glass of water? Thank you. I'm a little nervous, but not that nervous. I'm just dry. Uh, but I want, us, I, I want you to join with me in, in seeing the, the benefit and the delight in spending time in the presence of the Lord through his word. And uh, thank you. You do everything around here, Timothy. Thank you. And as we, as we, as we grow in grace and knowledge of him and spend time in his presence, looking at the light of his glorious face, we can be joyful heralds of the gospel, both with our lives and with our words. So that's my, my goal. And I think as we, uh, as we start this study, uh, I think we're all probably familiar, somewhat familiar with uh, uh, the definition and the practice of meditation. But uh, as Peter said in his second epistle there in chapter 1, he said, I want to put you in remembrance of these things. And the reason he was, he, he actually said it three times in four verses that he wanted to remind his, his uh, readers 
Uh, and the reason is we're, we're prone to forget and to wander. And so I'm not going to, uh, my expectation is not that we will uh, find new, new insights into meditation or that I will teach you anything that you haven't already heard or practiced already, but I want to remind us because we're prone to wander. And uh, as usual, when I study something, it, uh, it tends to reveal my, my lack of, of uh, uh, discipline. And uh, I just want to tell you that uh, I've recognized more and more my need to grow in, in, the, in diligence and delight in this discipline. There's three Ds, but that's the last time I'll alliterate, I think, or alliterate. But, uh, so I, I'm not teaching as one that has arrived in this, but one that needs to make a lot of progress in this discipline. I used a, uh, several sources as I was studying, and uh, I can commend them to you. One is a simple little book by David Saxton called God's Pl Battle Plan for the Mind. And he sourced a lot of his material from Joel Beakey, and, or Beak, I'm not sure how to pronounce it, but, uh, and I've used some of his material as well. Some of his unpublished material, uh, he had a free article that I downloaded, I think, maybe 15 years ago. And now he's put it into a, into a booklet that I borrowed from a friend of mine to, to uh, help. So those are the sources. They're listed on the back of your handout. So my hope as a way of introduction is that we will, we'll be able to either continue the practice of meditation or maybe even begin the practice of meditation on, on the Word of God. And one more disclaimer, I've, I've put, uh, I've copied and pasted uh, scriptures into my notes from the ESV, but if I end up quoting, it'll probably be some mixture of the King James and the ESV, and so I, I apologize in advance for any, any uh, confusion that that may cause, but uh, let's, let's start in the study. Uh, so the first thing I wanted to point out was that uh, what biblical meditation is not. Uh, meditation gets a bad rap by the New Age movement and the transcendental meditation meditation crowd and the yoga group and and uh, we're not talking about any of that or relaxation therapy or anything new agey uh, nor is it contemplative prayer which I've shortened a definition of contemplating prayer to say emptying our mind and listening for God uh, the Bible is is replete with instruction and encouragement not to empty our mind but to fill our mind with the things of God and uh, <clears throat> I think the best way to, to illustrate that is by taking a quick survey of Psalm 119. So I've identified those verses that I'm going to read, but I'll just read those, and you can turn there. We'll be in Psalm 119 for a while today, and uh, I'm going to start with verse 15. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. And then verse 23, even though princes sit plotting against me, your servant will meditate on your statutes. And what I want you to see here is what, what he's filling or what he's encouraging us to fill our mind with, which is to meditate on his statutes and to uh, look at his precepts. 
Verse 27, make me understand the way of your precepts and I will meditate on your wondrous works. And we'll talk more about works in a little bit. I will lift up my hands toward your commandments, which I love, and I will meditate in your statutes. Let the insolent be put to shame because they have wronged me with falsehood. As for me, I will meditate on your precepts. So the, the common denominator here is precepts, statutes, law. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. I have more understanding than all my teachers. And why is that? For your testimonies are my meditation. So the, the focus here is on the word of God. My eyes are awake before the watches of the night that I may meditate on your promises. So the, the, uh, the psalmist here is, is directing us away from uh, the world's uh, approach to uh, meditation and to focus on the word of God, the precepts of God, the law of God, the commands of God, the rules of God, and also on the works of God and the person of God, but it's always God-centered. So our meditation uh, is... is uh, has to be on the eternal living word of God, not on our own thoughts, our own desires. In fact, that's, that's one of the uh, fallacies of meditation is that we, uh, we fall into uh, a, a habit of being too introspective in looking at our own heart and our own desires uh, rather than focusing on the word of God. So again in Psalm 119, verse 27, this time looking at the last uh, phrase, uh, and I will meditate on your wondrous works. So it's, it's the word of God, but it's also the works of God. I remember in Psalm 143.5, I remember the days of old. I meditate on all that you have done, and I ponder the works of your hands. I will ponder all your work. This is Psalm 77. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. And then Psalm 63, 6, we read 63, uh, Psalm 63 this morning, and I was reminded again of this. Uh, when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. Uh, so it's always God-centered. It's either the person of God or the works of God or the word of God, which uh, commends uh, all of those things to us and encourages us. But it's also not... Uh, memorizing scripture, although it can be aided by that. Uh, I was, uh, I have to confess that I have been confused over the years. I confused meditation with memorization. And Rodney and I have talked about this, that, that uh, when, we're, when we're memorizing scripture, the study is more important than the test. And, and what, that, what I mean by that is when we're memorizing scripture, we're, we meditate on it, we think about it, we take it apart, we, we rehearse it in our minds. And in ISI, when we come together and, and, we, uh, and the men are accountable one to another for memorizing the scripture, that's the test. We have to re repeat the scripture to one another, but... The, the truth of the matter is the meditation part of that, the thinking on that, is more important than, than passing the test. So our goal is with memorization is to aid us in meditation. It's not a goal in and of itself. 
and frankly, it's always been easy for me to meditate. It's not, a, I mean, to memorize. It's, it's not as easy as it used to be, but I used to be able to memorize. And it, it, it lends itself to, uh, to pride. And meditation or memorization is, is a little more visible if we, if we uh, uh, can stand and recite a verse. Um, we, we can take pride in that. Uh, meditation is a lot harder, and it's private. And it's, uh, as I was studying meditation again this time, I was, uh, I was encouraged again to uh, recognize that our goal is to know God through meditation and to understand, to look full in the face of Christ, to to um, let the things of earth grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. So memorization is a help in that because, uh, like Psalm uh, 63, 6 says, uh, that we can do it at night in the night watches. And we don't all have smartphones and with, with well, maybe we all do have smartphones, but... Uh, if we can memorize the scripture, there's a benefit to calling it up at any time. And when we're driving down the road, we can call it up. So there is a benefit in, mem in memorizing, but only in the sense that it aids our meditation. So, uh, like I said, I have been uh, uh, guilty in the past of focusing too much on memorizing and not on meditating. So Psalm 63, 6, when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the night watches. Uh, and verse 7 of Psalm 119, I will praise you with an upright of heart when I learn your righteous rules. So there's a benefit to learning so that it allows us to praise God at all times. Uh, Psalm 34, 1, if I can remember it, uh, I'll praise you at all time. No, I didn't. See, there's pride coming in. Help me out. Start, start me with that verse. Someone. Okay, I'm going to look it up. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Uh, my soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Let us ex exalt the name of the Lord together. So when we have it in our mind, and, and we don't forget, we're able then to praise him at all times and to be an encouragement to others as well. So there's a benefit to meditation, I mean to memorization, but it's only to help us as we meditate and share with others. I have stored up your word in my heart. This is the one that we remember from Psalm 119, verse 11, that I might not sin against you. So storing it up, not in our head, but in our heart, so that we won't sin against God. Blessed are you, O Lord, teach me your statutes. So we want, we, we, we want that to be our prayer and our desire, is to learn the statutes of the Lord, but only so that we can think on him. So meditation isn't a new age, or transcendental meditation, or yoga, or contemplating prayer, or even memorization. So what is it? Uh, I've written down some uh, Hebrew words there from the Old Testament, to s the words that are translated as meditate, and I'll give, it, I'll give a shot. It's haga, 
which is to muse or mutter or utter or speak or groan. And syak, I can't get the, uh, the Hebrew uh, pronunciation right, but it's to put forth or to meditate or muse or commune or speak or complain or ponder. And in the New Testament, it's melatao, uh, which is to care for or to attend carefully or to practice. So if we just look at the word, we get the sense of the word uh, of thinking deeply about something, talking to oneself, muttering uh, or pondering or musing. And uh, I've included some definitions here that might help us with that. Uh, J.I. Packer says, it's the activity of calling to mind or thinking over or dwelling on or applying to oneself the various things one knows about the works, the ways, the purposes, and the promises of God. It's an activity of holy thought consciously performed in the presence of God, under the eye of God, by the help of God, as a means of communication with God. So meditation is, is primarily uh, to center our thoughts and our desires, not just our thoughts, but our desires on God and our delight to be in Him. And I've, I've put some quotes down here from the Puritans. Uh, Thomas Watson defi defines it as a holy exercise of the mind whereby we bring the truths of God to remembrance and do seriously ponder upon them and apply them to ourselves. Uh, I was thinking this morning on Psalm 119, verse uh, 59 and 60. I don't have that referenced for you there, but I'll find it. I had it memorized until I got prideful about it. He says, I thought on my ways and turned my feet unto thy testimonies. I made haste and delayed not to keep thy commandments. My, my thought with that is what, what Watson says is that to ponder about them and to apply them to ourselves. That's one of the common denominators of the Puritans as they looked at meditation. It wasn't in order for us to have a mystical experience and to, and to just have the joy of being in the presence of the Lord. And, and uh, as Dan mentioned last week in, the, in Psalm 4, where he says in verse 7 that you put gladness in my heart more than in the time when their corn and their wine increased. And as we were praying this morning, we were talking about that, that, uh, that uh, we should enjoy our corn and our wine increasing and that's one of the blessings of the Lord but but our gladness should be greater than that but the Puritans were not they would not stop with gladness and joy it has to go from uh, to apply a change in our life and so that's what uh, Watson is talking about we seriously ponder them and apply them to ourselves and then Edmund Calamy wrote a true meditation is when man does so meditate of Christ as to get his heart inflamed with the love of Christ. And so meditate of the truths of God as to be transformed into them. And so meditate of sin as to get his heart to hate sin. So there's an action that follows the meditation. It is the serious intention of the mind whereby we come to search out the truth and settle effectively upon our heart, uh, Thomas Hawker says. Hooker says. And the Puritans likened meditation to uh, digestion of food. 
And the, the analogy is very good. Uh, it doesn't do any good to eat food for our own physical growth if we don't digest the food and get it inside us and have it, uh, have it transform our bodies through the nutrients that they have. Uh, so we don't grow just by hearing and reading the Word of God. Uh, we know that we're transformed by the renewing of our mind, and that only happens as we internalize the truths of God and are conformed to His image as we behold Him. And so that's the purpose of, of meditation. That's what meditation is to do, is to... Is to take the word of God that we hear or read or hear preached or study and take it that next step where it actually has an application to us and a change of us and transform our lives to be more Christ-like. It's a natural next step after reading or hearing or studying the word of God. And the Puritans called it kind of a middle duty between hearing the word or reading the word and praying. That middle duty is to uh, absorb that word and to have it uh, uh, be digested into our being so that it can transform us and uh, that we be not barren. Thomas Manson said, the word feeds meditation, meditation feeds prayer. We must hear that we be not erroneous in our thinking and meditate that we be not barren. So the, the benefit of taking the word in is that we understand the truth of God, what he has for us. But meditating on it is what, is what transforms it from just hearing it in our head to applying it to our hearts. Uh, and so to summarize what meditation is, uh, I, I put a statement down there. It's simply pondering, musing, ruminating. I'll talk more about that in a minute. Reflecting, cogitating, I like that word, uh, thinking deeply and clearly on the truth of God from the scriptures with the help of God to obey God, to the glory of God, to our own great joy and benefit. I want us to remember that part. There's a, there's a delight in this duty as, as we cultivate a desire for it. So there are three, three more Ds. Uh, James 1, 21 and 22 he says, therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted or the engrafted word, which is able to save your souls. But be you doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. So there's that, that uh, admonition again to receive the word humbly with meekness and to engraft the word or, or have it be implanted in us and it's the living word of God Hebrews 4 tells us that that uh, the, the word of God is is uh, quick or, or alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing even to the dividing the soul of sunder and spirit and the joints and the marrow and as a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart so the word of God is, is alive and, and active in us, but we have, to, we have to consider it or ponder it, uh, meditate on it in order for the word to do its work. And since we're about halfway between breakfast and lunch, I want to press the digestion analogy a little bit more. Uh, 
we have certain animals, uh, most notably, I think, sheep and cows that, that are called ruminants. And they call them ruminants because they ruminate on their food. They chew the cud. They, uh, they, they take the food in their mouth. It processes, goes down to their stomach. And they have, I think, four compartments in their stomach. And they, they do the initial chewing, and they get some uh, benefit out of the food. And then they cause it to come back up, in, and they chew the cud. And when they do that, they, uh, they masticate on it, they, they chew it, and they salivate, and they think on it. They don't really think on it, but we do. Uh, and they get more nutrients out of it the next time, and the next time, and the next time. And so that is the, that is the analogy, and like all analogies, I'm sure it breaks down somewhere, but it, it, it at least gets us to the point I want to, which is meditation is that process whereby we, we allow the Word of God, which is alive and, and, and living, and sharp and powerful, we, we, that's the process that, that we internalize the Word of God and the Spirit of God, and that's the one thing I was going to point out in my definition there, uh, with the help of God. Rod uh, taught six weeks, I think, on the Holy Spirit of God. We need, we need the, the power of God to do this. We can't just do it in our, in our minds. Uh, it's not a mental exercise. It's it's that, but it's more than that. So meditation is the process whereby we chew on, on the, the things of God, and we gain more. The more we consider it, the more we ponder, the more we ruminate upon it. So that's what, what uh, definition is, or what the definition is of meditation. So there's next in your uh, outline, I think, are the types of meditation. Just like prayer, there, there, there's two types of prayer. There's the uh, uh, instantaneous prayer when, when, we're, when we need help from God and we cry out to him and we call out to him. And then there's the, a, uh, uh, a, a deliberate prayer where we spend time, set apart time, and we, and we spend time uh, in the serious uh, uh, private devotional prayers, and supplication prayers. So similar to that, uh, there's two types, uh, at least the Puritans defined it this way, and I think it makes sense. There's the occasional meditation and deliberate meditation. And uh, quoting Calamie again, there's a sudden, short, occasional meditation of heavenly things, and there's a solemn, set, deliberate meditation. And... Uh, and I think about the occasional meditation. I think that's, that's the one that is easier for us to do because uh, we have uh, opportunities for meditation almost everywhere. Uh, the idea is you take the, you, we take the, uh, what we see in here and we turn it, we take it as an occasion to turn our mind to God. And the Puritans use the terminology of uh, when you're thinking of things in heaven as a ladder to climb up into heaven. And, uh, and we ought to do that often. We ought to do that uh, as, as often as we can. If we can, if we can uh, be prepared to see the Lord in creation and in circumstances and in providence, then we can 
use those opportunities as occasions for meditation. And uh, Psalm uh, 8, verses 3 and 4, When I look at or consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you set in place, uh, so the psalmist was looking at the things of heaven, and he said, What is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visits him? Uh, so he, he immediately did a contrast between the magnificent power and majesty of God in his creation and his view of, of man as being much less than that. So it, it, it was a, to ponder the immensity of God versus the smallness of man. But we have opportunities outside the scripture also, and, and, uh, and I, I've, I've been encouraged when I, when I talk to people about the way they see creation. I was on a walk with, with Deborah one time, and we were looking, and I was just trying not to fall down in the street, and she was looking at the, at the, at the leaves of the trees and recognizing that every leaf was different not just on different trees, but on every tree, that there was, a, there was a nuance to it, on the same tree, rather, and the complexity and the wisdom of God in, in a leaf. And uh, Jonathan Edwards uh, used the spider web in one of his uh, famous uh, Sinners in the Hand of, of an Angry God. And uh, there's many ways that, that, are, are, that we're able to, if we, if we have eyes to see, we can see opportunities to draw our mind into heaven, a ladder to climb into heaven. So, uh, and again, it will allow us to bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in, in my mouth. But there is a possible danger in, in occasional meditation, and that is that we drift into speculation. Uh, and... Uh, Frankly, the, the medieval Roman Catholic Church was terrible about this. They, they would, uh, they, they would uh, I, think, I think that was the source of, of the question, how many angels can dance on the head of a pin? You know, who cares? Uh, we, we, need to, we, need to, we need to occupy our mind with things that, that are beneficial to us and that do lead us to praise and glorify God and to and to share the, the good news with other people. Uh, but, but the danger is that if we let our imagination run free, uh, we, can, we can go into the superstitious and the, and the unhelpful. And Manton cautions in the, one of the Puritans, he said, do not pry further than God has revealed. Your thoughts must still be bounded by the word. So as we, as we recognize that, that we want to uh, have the freedom to meditate on, to, to let our heart be drawn into the presence of God by, by everything we see. We need to bind, bind that, uh, keep us on the rails uh, by remembering the truths of God and keeping that as, as, our, uh, as our, our sideboards. And deliberate meditation, as the name implies, is a planned, set, and private opportunity to set apart a time and a place to purposely set our minds on heavenly things and the goal is not again to to uh, to have an ecstatic experience although we should have a joyful time with the Lord our goal is to become more Christ-like to be more conformed to the image of, of Christ uh, 
and the Puritans said that we should draw material for the deliberate meditation. We'll talk more about this when we uh, talk about the practical uh, uh, process of meditation. But they said that there was at least four sources that they recommend. Number one is the scripture. Number two are the practical truths of Christianity or the doctrines of Christianity. Uh, number three is the providence of God. And number four is sermons. And they had, they had a lot to say about meditating on sermons, and we'll talk more about that later. But uh, I think that sets the stage for, for what meditation is not and what meditation is and the types of meditation. So what I want to spend the remainder of our time today on is why we should meditate. Because what I want, what I, what my, my primary goal again for all of us, myself first, is to see the, the joy and the benefit and the, and the, the, uh, the commands of God, the, the desire of God that we spend time meditating on him and his attributes and his character and his word. If, if, I, if I do nothing else in two weeks except to stir that up in us so that our desire is to, is to um, bask in the presence of God for the purpose of being changed into the image of God, that's what I want to do. So the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And I want to read a short quote from uh, Spurgeon, uh, if I can find it. He said, and this is taken from uh, January 7th, 1855, and it's, it's quoted in, in Knowing God by Packer, and Spurgeon uh, spoke. He said, it has been said by someone that the proper study of mankind is man, and I will not oppose the idea, but I believe it is equally true that the proper study of God's elect is God. The proper study of a Christian is the Godhead. The highest science, the loftiest speculation, the mightiest philosophy which, we can ever, which can ever engage the attention of a child of God is the name, the nature, the person, the work, the doings, and the existence of the great God whom he calls Father. He said there is something exceedingly improving to the mind in the contemplation of the divinity. It is a subject so vast that all of our thoughts are lost in its immensity, so deep that our pride is drowned in its infinity. But while the subject humbles the mind, it also expands it. He who often thinks of God will have a larger mind than the man who simply plods around this narrow globe. And the point is that, that there's, there's a, there's, there's a, uh, a benefit to our soul and our mind to contemplating something much greater than us, which is God. Uh, the Westminster Confession defines God as uh, God is spirit, uh, eternal and infinite and unchangeable in his being, in his power, uh, in his holiness, in his justice, and his goodness, and his truth. And that's enough right there, just in that definition from, from the Westminster Confession to keep us, we could meditate uh, for a whole week, many times, in both occasional meditation and deliberate meditation. Uh, so simply put, uh, from uh, 
in order to glorify God and enjoy him together, it is our duty, delight, and desire, and one of the main God-given means of knowing him and becoming more like him to meditate. He has ordained meditation as one of the means of grace, of imparting grace to us. So doing our duty out of our desire produces delight. And Oliver Haywood, another Puritan, said, holy, thought, holy thoughts form a great part of a Christian devotion. This exercise of thoughts is indeed a Christian's walking with God. It's a communion with God, a walking in paradise, an enjoying of God. Second uh, Timothy 4, 8 uh, Yes, 2 Timothy 4, 8. When, when Dan taught on that uh, in 2 Timothy, he was, uh, four, verse 8 says that uh, it's, I, I can't quote it, but it, he's talking about uh, the crown that we get at his appearing. And we don't have to wait. I was thinking when, when he was preaching on that, that we don't have to wait until the appearing of Christ to to have a taste of heaven. We can taste heaven as we meditate on heavenly things. And so uh, one of the benefits of that is that we can, we can enjoy a, a piece of heaven on earth. So I've, I've divided the, the reasons to meditate into four or five of them, uh, and I'll, I'll hurry a little bit. I think we probably won't finish with uh, all of these today, uh, but that's okay. We have another week. Uh, so there's a direct commands or encouragements from God with or without promises. And there's, uh, what I did when I was studying this, I looked, there were dozens and dozens of quotes from Puritans about the need for meditation and why we should meditate and the exhortation. And, and I don't I think I, I think I meant to say this earlier. Uh, one of the things that we, we kind of set the Puritans up on a pedestal, and, and I, I was surprised to, to know or to learn when I was reading about meditation is the Puritan pastors were uh, exhorting and encouraging their people that they're not meditating enough either. And so if they weren't meditating under that kind of preaching and teaching, uh, it's likely that we're not doing as much as we should be either. Richard Baxter said uh, that, that his parishioners were, they would not miss a fast day or a feast day or a sermon, but some of them were not meditating even to this day, he said, and in the midst of one of his messages to his people. So... Uh, I take that as an encouragement that we're not, we're, we're not uh, uh, even though we have many distractions nowadays, uh, they, were, they needed to be exhorted and encouraged as well, and so do we. So there's direct commands, and uh, Deuteronomy, I'm going to read these uh, maybe quicker than you can turn to them, but Deuteronomy 32, 46 he said unto the children of Israel, Take to heart all the words by which I'm warning you to this day, uh, or today, that you may command them to your children, that they may be careful to do all the words of the law. And Dan's going to be preaching this morning on, on uh, Psalm 78, verses, I think, 1 through 8. Uh, and that's, again, in that, in that section, 
the, uh, the people of God, the children of God are called to, uh, to teach the words to the next generation, to teach the things of God to the next generation. And, they, and the next quote from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 and 7, these words that I, these are very familiar, these words that I command you today shall be on your hearts. So you shall teach them diligently to your children. Shall talk of them when you sit in the house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. And the only way to be able to talk about things all the time is to have them in our heart. We can't have the Bible with us at all times. When we lay down and when we stand up and when we sit by the way. So we have to take them into our heart. So that's a command. They shall be on our heart. Philippians 4, 8 and 9, one of my favorite verses uh, or sections in scripture. Finally, brothers, whatsoever is true, whatsoever is honorable, I'm trying to read it in the ESV, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there be any excellence, if there be anything worthy of praise, think on these things, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So there's a promise. It's a command and a promise that if we practice these things, that is to think on the things of heaven and the things of God and the things that are good and just and honorable and pure and lovely and of good report, uh, that the God of peace will be with us. And that's a promise that we ought to delight in, in fulfilling because we can, we can uh, bring that about by our own uh, efforts aided by the, by the Holy Spirit. Uh, Colossians 1, verses 1 and 2. If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds, or the King James says, your affections on things that are above, not on things of the earth. Uh, and he goes on to say, for, for you're dead. Your life is hid with Christ. And when Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall you also appear with him in glory. And then he takes the next step, the rest of Colossians 3 there, and he says, mortify therefore your members which are upon this earth. So there's a transformation that needs to take place as we think on the things of heaven. Uh, Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to the Lord. Uh, so those are direct commands to, to, to meditate, not to memorize, but to meditate, to take those words and put them in our heart. And, uh, and then there's also out of delight and love, uh, the God we love and that loves us has revealed himself through the word of God. And uh, I don't know how many of you are old enough to have written love letters to somebody or to have received love letters, but uh, it's not like a text. Yeah, it takes time and energy and effort, and uh, I don't think I still have any from my wife, but I did pour over them when I got them. And we have a love letter written to us from, from our God, our Father, and so we ought to spend time uh, reading this love letter. And I, I put together uh, these scriptures from Psalm 119, and I'll just read them uh, in, in a flow. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. 
Your statutes have been my songs in the house of my sojourning. Their heart is unfeeling like fat, but I delight in your law. Let your mercy come to me that I may live, for your law is my delight. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Your testimonies are my heritage forever. They are the joy of my heart. Your promises is well tried, and your servant loves it. Trouble and anguish have found me out, but your commandments are my delight. I rejoice at your word like one who finds great spoil. My soul keeps your testimonies. I love them exceedingly. I long for your salvation, O Lord, and your law is my delight. And then uh, twice in the, in the Gospels, once in Matthew and once in Luke, uh, we're reminded that where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So, uh, and that works both ways. Uh, it's, it's both a, a, a command to treasure up Christ so that our heart will be drawn there. And then as our heart is drawn to him, we will treasure him. So it's, it's a little bit of a, a double-edged sword. That the more we think on the things of God and what he's done for us and through Christ, uh, the more our heart is drawn into him and we treasure him and his ways. And then there's, there's the, the need to be transformed or renewed uh, is the next category that I had. These are all reasons to meditate. Uh, Romans 12 is, is the first verse there, verses 1 and 2. I, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable God, which is your reasonable or spiritual worship. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, uh, that, you, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Our goal is to be transformed and be conformed more into the image of Christ. And the way that we can do that is to not be, there's a negative, to not be conformed to the world, but be transformed. And how do we do it? By the renewing of our mind. And uh, Ephesians 4.23, I'm a little bit out of order, but we can be renewed in the spirit of our minds again by the word. And this is one of the, the key verses in, in uh, meditation, in, in the reasons to meditate, is 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of our Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. So if we want to become like Christ, we need to behold Christ. And that section in, in, uh, in 2 Corinthians 3 uh, is is leading right into 2 Corinthians 4 when he talks about the, uh, the, the gospel. And the glory of God is more displayed in the gospel than in, even in creation. And, and the glory of God is that he, uh, he gave himself for us that he might reconcile us to himself. So what he's talking about there in, in 2 Corinthians 3.18 is is beholding the glory of Christ in the gospel, in what he's done for us. And, uh, and the gospel is the center of... Uh, and when we look, and when we're looking to, to uh, behold God in the things of God, the, the best way that he has displayed his goodness and mercy to us is in the gospel. So uh, as we talk further about uh, subjects for meditation, that's the key subject for meditation is the gospel. Uh, and then 
Psalm 119, I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. That would be a transformation from going from sinning against God to not sinning against God. Romans 6, a similar thing. Uh, So you must also consider or reckon yourselves to be dead to sin and alive to God. Well, how do you reckon yourself to be dead to sin? You spend time thinking about the, the, the heinous or heinous nature of sin, how despicable it is, and how, how, how much we hate sin or how much we should hate sin because it robs God of glory. Uh, so we reckon ourselves to be dead to sin, and, but alive to God in Jesus Christ our Lord. And then uh, I've got James 1 there again. We've already talked about James 1, verses 21 and 22. Uh, And then uh, another reason, I'll do one more, and then we'll we'll stop for today, but is an example or an encouragement to walk with the Lord. And I wanted to read, uh, I I think we'll wait and read that next week so we can give it some attention. I don't want to rush through it. Uh, So my, my hope today is that, that I've whetted your appetite at least uh, to understand, you understand what, what we mean by meditation, what we don't mean by meditation, and why we need to meditate. And my goal, again, is that we would get excited about spending time in the presence of God. And it's hard work to, to set aside time uh, deliberately and, and, and to focus our mind and our thoughts, turn off our phone, uh, and get into a place that where we're, uh, we're set apart to where we can set ourselves apart for the Lord. But it's worth the effort. And, uh, and I want to encourage us to, even this week, to spend time. Uh, if you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. Set your mind and your affections on things above where Christ is at the right hand of the Father. So let me close in a word of prayer. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for uh, loving us and for drawing us to yourself and for revealing yourself in your word to us. And I pray, Father, that you would uh, go with us into the worship hour and help us to see and to delight in you as your word reveals your, your nature and your character and your love for us. And I thank you for your mercies that are new every day and your compassions that fail not and for your faithfulness which you display to us every day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.